my, my message this morning is about the call on your life and my life not to waste our weakness because sometimes we don't have any other choice in life but to harness the pain. There's one thing I know about you. I may not know where you live. I may not know your birthday. I may not know your name, but there's one thing I know about you. If you're above the age of 15 in this room today, that you have already tasted some of the pains that come to every human being that walks on this planet. Man's days are full of trouble is what the scripture teaches. And it's funny, we have this inclination to do whatever we can to dodge the trouble, to immunize ourselves from the trouble, to insulate ourselves from the trouble. But the reality is it's decreed in Scripture. And there is nobody that has ever been entitled to walk through a life on planet Earth and not be touched by the effects of the curse that is upon this globe. Now, before you start dialing 1-800-Flowers to send yourself a bouquet because you're feeling sorry for yourself, I want to tell you this. The joy of the Christian is that though we are not made immune from the trouble, we are also never alone in it. And that is not lip service by and by. That's not some little preachy kind of thing to throw out there. I'm telling you that the most intense moments of intimacy in the Christian's life if he or she is responding Godward during the trouble, the most intense times of intimacy with the Lord are not when everything is going your way. Now, it doesn't mean we don't glory in the Lord and celebrate the Lord and praise the Lord in those times, but I'm going to tell you, his nearness is never deeper than when you are well over your head in life. And the question is not if we're going to experience that. The question, if there is a question, is what are we going to do with our pain? What are we going to do with our weaknesses? How can we harness this so as to not only bring glory to the Lord, but to be able to, um, to grow, to be able to become more like him? I, I would rather, I don't, I don't, don't, don't amen this quickly because it's taken me years to come to this place. Um, I would rather spend a long, dark season of difficulty and sense the nearness of the Lord than to have it easy and not know whether he's nearby or not. And I'm going to tell you, it has not always been that way. Um... In my flesh, to this very moment, in my flesh, I'd love to live a problem-free, trouble-free, pain-free, discouragement-free, bad stuff-free life. I would much rather do that. But this is what I've learned about me. I won't put this on you. I'll put this on me. I've learned that I tend to stray a little bit. Doesn't mean I go off into sin. It just means when I don't know how much I need him, when I don't sense how much I need him, I start living like that. How many of you would love to be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, that you raised the dead? Anybody? Yeah, me too. It's like nine of us in here? Come on. It's not a trick question. To lay your hands on the sick at will and see them healed to be able to go into unreached places of the earth with God not only as your sender, but God as your companion on those trips and to bring the light of the gospel to the, the hearts of those that are still darkened in their sin that have never heard the name of Jesus. If, if the Lord would accompany you, how many of you would like to do that? You see, there are so many things when I read about the, the life of the Apostle Paul and we're going to be all throughout 2 Corinthians. You can try to turn there. I would recommend just watch the screen for the notes today because I don't know how close I'm going to, to stick to the text. Everything in your culture is trying to market a strength to you. Everything in our culture is, is geared towards telling you and me how we can enhance our beauty how we can lengthen our lives, how we can deepen our wealth, how we can 
promote our name, how we can obtain greater resources. That is the thrust of our culture. It is meant to tell you how to be the best you that you can be and so that everybody will notice how great you are. That's our culture. And you and I find ourselves as Christians at a crossroads because the, the scriptures, the Son of God and his apostles in the Bible, never market that to us. Do you know what the, the message of the gospel is? It's not only Jesus took a cross, it's that you take a cross. Not to save your soul, but to honor your Lord and walk with your Lord and bring glory to your Lord. And so here we are day in and day out with everything externally in our culture and sometimes even in our own flesh that's telling us you're supposed to be great. You're supposed to be the most awesome version of you that could ever be. Ladies, you are supposed to be gorgeous. Even at age 94, you're supposed to knock them dead, sister. And brothers, gentlemen, you're always supposed to be strong. Real men have all the answers. Real men don't weep. Real men, well, it's a brave heart moment every day of the week. That's you. And that's our culture, and we're living in this paradox where we're saying, yeah, all of that pressure from the outside is coming against the, the compelling on the inside, and, and these two things are in a collision course. And, and here's the thing. One of those messages is more realistic than the other. The message of Scripture, the message of Jesus, the message of the apostles is actually much more realistic than the message of our culture. You know why? Because you're not always going to be beautiful. You're not always going to be strong. Hey, listen, don't be offended. I love you. But you're rarely going to be super awesome. And yet, I think in our generation, people are feeling less than because they're getting their cues from the voice of the culture and we're getting tone deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I want to look through a couple of passages in 2 Corinthians, where Paul is having to give his testimony because he's being misrepresented by some, he's being misunderstood by others, and he's being deeply mistreated. And the people that are going after his testimony are speaking of their strength, of their expertise, of their education, of their eloquence, and they're promoting themselves and diminishing the Apostle Paul while he's not in the room to speak for himself. So what does he have to do? He actually has to write a letter to the church at Corinth, and he's got to navigate these difficult roads in humility but with honesty. He has to do something. He has to say, what you've heard about me is not true, and the people that are saying it to you are not authentic. But he's got to do all of that while retaining humility and Christ-likeness. And if you've never been attacked or misrepresented or, or, or mistreated publicly, then you don't know how difficult it is to try to give a defense of yourself for the good of the people that have misheard about you. It's, it's a very precarious way. And so I'm going to tell you that through these four little tests that Paul reveals in 2 Corinthians we're going to find out that we share some weaknesses with the apostle. And we're going to also be able to say, what wisdom can we glean? What is our experience? What's the pressure? What's the pain? What's the reality of the weakness? What is our human experience? What wisdom can we gain from or through those weaknesses? And then what course of action do we take once we've gained the wisdom? So I want you in all four of these, it's a very simple process. I've never seen the pattern in these texts through 2 Corinthians until this week that when Paul gives his testimony, he says, here's my experience. Here is the wisdom that I gained from that difficult experience. And here is the reorienting that God did on my soul when I gained that wisdom. So it's, it's, it's a lesson unto action. So let's, let's go there. I'm going to give you the first test, and here it is. I call it the test of troubling circumstances. And everybody that came forward with a mountain represented this morning, this is for you. Troubling circumstance. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, 
of the affliction, the philipsis, the, the intense shaking, the trouble that we experienced in Asia. He says this, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, watch this, that we despaired of life itself. Now, I want you to remember who's, who's doing the writing there. It's the Apostle Paul. It's the guy who has resurrection power in his hands. The guy that can cast demons out of people. The guy that withstood, as we'll find out in this message, so much of the world's ill against him and came through it. The guy who was stoned outside the gates of Lystra with big rocks, and when he rose back up, they thought he was dead, he went back into the city to finish his sermon. So what I'm talking about here is a man who is, who is he's, not a, he's not a, oh, Lord, help me with the right word here. He's not a dandelion. He's not a daisy. He's not a pansy. You allowed to say that in church? I just did in the name of the Lord. All right, here we go. He says this. Here's my experience, and I want you to know about it. He didn't pretend like everything was cool. He didn't pretend like he had never suffered. He wasn't of that modern-day thought where they just say, yeah, we don't talk about that because you don't want to speak it into being. Paul put it in writing, and the Holy Spirit inspired it to be kept in our Bible so we'd understand that whereas he was afflicted, we're afflicted too. But his affliction was this. He says, I was so utterly weighed down that it took me outside of my own personal capacity for strength and endurance to the point where I despaired of living anymore. Because I know none of y'all have ever been there, right? I'm going to tell you, most everybody, most every honest Christian can look at a time both pre-conversion and post-conversion where circumstances were so intense that literally they had no human resources left within them that could remedy the situation. They couldn't make the pain go away. They couldn't chase out the darkness of the mind or of the emotions of the heart that promised no way of escape in the natural. And they looked at it, or we looked at it, and we said, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm despairing of living another day. And that is exactly what the apostle was saying. Now, in this first test, it's the only one out of the four I'm going to share where he, he writes down a wrong conclusion that came to him during that time of testing. And here is his wrong conclusion. He said, indeed, during that time, we felt like we had received a death sentence. Paul said that the pain, the affliction, the trouble, the darkness, the impossible circumstances was so intense, he literally was waiting on death. He saw no way out. The, the only reason I'm making this point is because it encourages me that the apostle Paul went there, that, that the great man of God is confessing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he had gotten so immersed in something that was far beyond his capacity that he said the only thing he could expect was a welcoming of the death that he was sure that was fine. But it ended up being the wrong conclusion because here's the wisdom gained. You see, he didn't die. He didn't give up. Uh, the angel of death didn't come to find him. Instead, a life-changing lesson found him in that dark valley. The wisdom that he gained was this. He said, but that, that affliction, that trouble, that waiting for death, that loss and despairing of life itself, that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us, hallelujah, from such a deadly peril, and here's the wisdom of the game, and he will deliver us. You see, Paul had to go through it. Paul could not opt out. Paul was a candidate to learn a very important lesson that every believer must learn if we're going to bring glory to God. What is that lesson? That lesson is don't trust in yourself. Do you understand how countercultural that is? Every psychology major that has gone through university outside of the Christian context is taught how to help people believe in themselves. And it's like saying, go continually back to an empty well when you find yourself thirsty. Because ultimately, you're going to find out that there's a place where yourself has no abilities, no resources, no capacity. And so Paul had passed through that. 
And through that testing and through that pain and through that, that denying season where there was no breakthrough, mark it down, there wasn't breakthrough until there was breakthrough. But before there was breakthrough, no breakthrough. Just a process ordained by God with an open-ended time limit. Paul could tell you when it began, but when he was in it, he couldn't tell you when it was going to end. But when it did end, he said, I came through that thing, and ladies and gentlemen, I learned something important. Don't trust yourself. That's the negative, but the positive is, but trust God because he did deliver us, and here, moving forward, he's going to deliver us. You know what the people in the room that have suffered the most could teach you? I could sit down on the front row. They could stand up here and one by one teach you better than I can. That there is a place that you can go where you are as low as you can go. It is as dark as it can be. It is as impossible as impossible can be defined. And when God brings you through it, you look at everything else in life and you say, no problem, God's got it. Because you've learned Meanwhile, the people that haven't gone through it or the people that are going through it and still trying to hold it all together and keep it all together and squirm and worm their way around the trouble, they're still not learning. No, you're trusting in yourself. But if you'll go all the way through it, you'll find that God has the breakthrough. And when that breakthrough comes, it teaches you about the next season of trouble. Because how many of you know you get more than one? Because I'm the kind of guy that says, Lord, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, I noticed things are getting bad for me again. You may not remember, but I actually passed this test last time. Yeah, I passed it, so no need. We can just get on with life. He's got a long arm, and he likes to show how long it is by reaching further and further down to bring us up. And sometimes he'll allow you to go further than you went the last time just to show you that his arm is more capable than you learned the last time. So what was the course of action? He learned that the Lord redeems, the Lord rescues, the Lord delivers. And so the course of action is very simple. He says, on him, I've set my hope that he will deliver us again. You see, the experience brought him to a place of wisdom of seeing, oh, God does deliver. And the, that place of wisdom led him to a course of action, which the course of action seems simple, but a lot of people haven't gotten there yet. The course of action is, I am going to unapologetically hope in the God of breakthrough. I am going to expect my Father to come through for me because he's already done it, and I'm not going to give in to that despairing of life, into that wicked whisper of the enemy that tells me, my God has forgotten about me, my God has forsaken me, my God has toyed with me, and he's not going to come through. I am not going to listen to that because my hope has been birthed through that last experience, and the wisdom that came was that he is a deliverer, therefore I expect him to be my deliverer. And so Paul became one of the apostles of hope. What about the second test? I'm going to give you four of them, and here's the second one. And they all overlap, and they're all from the same book of the Bible. And they tend to follow the same pattern. The test of unknown outcomes. Um, don't raise your hand. My guess would be, in all the people that came forward this morning, there were a number of you, if not all of you, that are carrying the weight that mountain is represented in I don't know what's going to happen with me in you fill in the blank we love to know what's coming our way don't we it's kind of silly because you you never really do know you can know some of what's coming your way some of the time but man we live at a frenetic pace where we are always trying to know what's coming and, and, and we, we orchestrate our lives to insulate and protect us from the unknowns. By the way, just so you know, in our culture, the God that most people turn to in order to protect them from the unknowns is the God of, as Jesus called it, unrighteous mammon, the God of money. Because most people think, hey, man, I got enough money, I can handle anything. Um... Job had a lot of money, and it did him no good. 
in that hour of trial. What did he learn? He learned what Paul's describing here. But look at how Paul describes his own experience in this next passage in 2 Corinthians 4. So moving from chapter 1 to chapter 4, it's the same thing, a little different nuance. Here's the experience. Paul says, we don't lose heart even though our outer self is wasting away. So the apostle moves us into this second test from his own personal experiences. And as he does so, he brings up the reality of your inner self versus your outer self. Now, Paul viewed himself as primarily a spiritual being housed in a physical body. And because of that, he was completely free to place his greater emphasis on his internal inheritance rather than his external inheritance. It doesn't mean the body and material things aren't important. It just means that if Paul was going to lean one way or the other, he's going to lean towards that which lasts forever, which is the internal man, the internal person. And so he's confessing here the reality of his body being in a process of passing away, or as he describes it here in the ESV, of wasting away. So as the years went on, and Paul's years were full of rigor, he was a missionary, he was an apostle, he was a constant target of persecution. He'd go into a place and the Jews would hate him because they'd see him as a traitor to Judaism. He'd go into another place the Gentiles would hate him because he's preaching on monotheistic exclusivity. That there is only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, no matter where he went, people were angry with him. And there, yes, of course, there were blessings. He would win people to Christ. He was establishing churches. But he was constantly hounded. And even people that were once by his side would abandon him at later times. And so there was this reality of part of his life. He's like, externally, things just waste away. It's a scientific term called entropy. And it's a, it's a, it's a reality that things left to themselves don't get better. They degrade. And anybody above age 45 is probably saying, amen. The old gray mare ain't what she used to be, amen. The, uh, the outer self was wasting away. It's, it's not a fun thing to have happening. If you're in your 20s or teens here, or even your, your 30s, I'm glad you feel awesome right now. I hope that continues forever. No, I'm, I'm actually being serious. I remember those days <laughs> fondly longingly help me lord i'm despairing of life the reality is 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 that the body gives out the body slows down the body does waste away and there's a lot of people that panic over that and they spend so much of their energies trying to preserve and resist and deny the reality that as time progresses you typically are going to experience that weakness. But this was Paul's experience, and this is what he said. He says, but I don't lose heart over that. This is where the wisdom comes in. Here's how he expresses the wisdom. He goes, yeah, our outer self, my outer self is wasting away, but my inner self, our inner self as believers, is being renewed day by day. And then he gives us this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul is indicating here that there's an aspect to suffering in the flesh that actually opens up a door to glory. That there is something about enduring for the sake of Jesus, a suffering, a toil, a wearing down, a wasting away. There is something about the, the draw on your physical resources, whether it be just through faithful, tedious service in places where it's hard to labor for the Lord, or whether it be in persecu persecutory elements where they're literally threatening to kill you. Paul says, they can keep beating on the temple, but they can't touch the one who lives in the temple of my body. And so his, his outer self is experiencing the reduction, but Paul's testimony is that his inner self was actually increasing. So he's actually experiencing the paradox that on the outside, he looks horrible, he's struggling, he's weak, he's despairing of life, but if you could peel back the tabernacle of his flesh, you would see beating within the apostle's life a robust spirit that was in line and in sync with Jesus, the Son of God. 
Some of you, if I can take a moment just to pastor the room. Uh, while I, I would not compare myself in any degree to what Paul has sacrificed and what he endured, most of us in here would probably be honest and say, yeah, we haven't gone there. But that's not to say that what you, I, I think of our intercessors, I think of our night watch, I think of those that are playing as unto the Lord and singing as unto the Lord and praying as unto the Lord when it's just literally them and the Lord in the room. And I think of hours, unthanked hours. They're not doing it to be thanked by man. But God sees that they're sitting in a room at the prayer room. They're sitting there and making sound and worship and music unto the Lord and offering up intercessions. And there's times where the body is weak. But they keep doing it unto the Lord. And as they do it and they come through those seasons, their, their soul is strengthened. Think of our missionaries on the field, some that are there and some that will be going soon. And I think about the, the toil and the rigors and the sacrifice and all the comforts they leave behind. And on the outward, it looks like it could even feel like a loss or a surrender. But on the inside, it's a gain. And there's got to come this time when in our experiences, when they're drawing us down and they're decreasing us and they're reducing that which is external and temporary, there's got to be a time where we gain the wisdom and say, but it's worth it. Because the inside, the inner man, the inner self, the inner woman is growing in strength. So day by day, he was being renewed. So what was his course of action when we're talking about not knowing the outcome? Because listen, when all the external is being broken down and it's right in front of your face and you don't know what the Lord's going to do and the outcome and needing to know it and wanting to know it, that's part of the breaking down our addiction to being in control of our circumstances. And the Lord just says, no, I'm not going to let you be in control of your circumstances. That's part of the reduction. But if you will surrender your need to control your circumstances, your need to know what the outcome's going to be, if you'll surrender that to me, I'm going to put something inside of you that is going to have a far greater weight of glory than anything you could have known by trying to hold all these things together. And so he says in verse number 18, he says, here's the course of action. He says, if I can paraphrase it, I'm not going to look to the things that are seen anymore, but I'm going to look to the things that are unseen. Now, right there, we're confronted with an impossibility. How do you look at something that's invisible? You do it by faith. The invisible starts becoming more real to you than the visible. The transient things, Paul says, are the things that you can see. He says, but the things that are unseen are the eternal things. It's a great time for all of us to say, um, what are we trusting in to bring us the favorable outcome that we desire? What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in the, in the seen things? I want to promise you something. Everything in our culture, from the time we are in pre-K to the time we graduate from college, to the time where we enter into our career, every single current of thought, philosophy, uh, all the isms, they teach us, they train us, they demand of us, focus on what you can see. Go for what you can get. Keep what you receive. Fight to the death that you never lose it. That is our culture. Everything in your culture trains you for that. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, those things are temporary. Those things are passing away. Child of God, don't live for those things. Use them, but never let them use you. Don't live for those things because they're passing away. So what does Paul say here? He, 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 his testimony is like, I'm going to quit looking for that stuff to deliver me. I'm going to quit looking to that stuff to satisfy me. I'm going to quit scrambling day after day, year after year, decade after decade in the mindless um, uh, treadmill of trying to obtain something to satisfy the soul. Too real for us? Is it too real? That's quiet because this thing backs us into a corner and it forces us to look at our lives and say, man, how did some of that junk get all up in me? And how do I get it out? See, for every person, Pastor Gabe just shepherded us great this morning. 
Because what he did is he didn't point you to the health, health self-help section of Barnes & Noble to move your mountain. That's, that's not what he, he didn't say, okay, everybody, here's a $10 certificate. Go to the self-help section, pick any of the books because they all say the same thing, and just go and help yourself. What he did is he said, come forward and confess it and release it. Come forward and praise the Lord in the midst of See, that's not practical, Gabe. That's not practical, but it is spiritually right. And, and let me tell you something. When you went back to your seat, you felt lighter. You felt something might have moved. You may not still know the seen thing that, you, that you've looked for, but you know that there's one for you whom you haven't seen with your naked eye, and he's working on that mountain for you. Stay there. Stay there. Third test. They all sound like the same test because that's just what preachers do. But <laughs> This is the test of personal decrease. And this one's hard. So here's his experience. Let me just read this. So again, Paul is having to defend himself and he's trying to do it as humbly as he can, but the misinformation about him is corrupting. It's being attached, and they're saying his message of the gospel wasn't sincere. So he's forced to defend himself so that nobody questions his message. So he's not fighting so everybody will understand him. He's fighting because he doesn't want anything negative said about him to be attributed to his message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so part of the message was the people were saying he's a terrible servant of the Lord. The guy can't get anything done. He gets beat up. He causes trouble. He's not eloquent. And this is what he responds. He says about these people, are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm a better one. And then he adds this, I am talking like a madman. We would say it this way, pardon me, but I'm going to boast here for a minute. I'm, I'm speaking like a fool. He says, I'm a better servant with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, Often, this is his resume, by the way, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. That means he got beat uh, five different times with 39 stripes across his back. Three times I was beaten by rods or with rods. That's what the Gentiles did in their, their jurisprudence system. They would beat the offender with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers through rivers, robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger, 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 toil, hardship, sleepless nights, many of them, hungry, thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of all my anxiety for all the churches. Now would be the time to say, how many of y'all want to be like the Apostle Paul? Probably should have waited till this moment. Do you know why the Apostle Paul was able to walk in all the things that we look at his life and we say, man, I want that? It's because of this. It's because every single one of these experiences further reduced him out of Paul and into Jesus. It, it stripped him of every possible reliance on his flesh. And this is what Paul puts up as his resume of being worthy to be a servant of Christ. The other guys are talking about where they got their doctorate of ministry. They're talking about how big their church was, what the offerings were on Sunday. Somebody better get in here with me. They're talking about what kind of worship they had and you know what kind of ministries they offer. And the, Listen, that's, that's just the way. It's, it's not new. We think all that's new and it happened in the last 50 years. It's always been that way. Men standing in the place of servants of God and trying to promote themselves by all that they've accomplished. Paul didn't list a single accomplishment. He says, let me tell you what my weakness is. Let me tell you what I've lost. Let me tell you about the price that was required of me. And I've already told you a few chapters earlier that it was well worth it because that light affliction that I went through is birthing in me a magnificent weight of glory in my soul. He didn't want anybody to feel sorry for him. But in this revelation of what he experienced, I mean, my goodness, I wouldn't have made it through half of the first verse in that. And Paul went through all of it. But look at the wisdom that he gained from it. 
It's, it's a little subtle, but it's in verse 29. This is what he says. I want you to hear me about this, especially if you're suffering and you're struggling with the why me moment. I'm not condemning you for that, but I am gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak into it. Here's the wisdom that he gained from his weakness and suffering. He says, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I am not indignant? I'm not going to bore you with a Greek study, but I'm just going to ask you to trust me on this. I'm going to paraphrase. Paul is saying, because of everything that I have endured, all my weaknesses, all my loss, all my pain, any suffering, he says, now when I come across a weak person, it resonates with my weakness. It means this, I can sympathize, I have compassion, I can meet them at the point of their need, I can identify with them. I'm not some high and mighty apostle standing in a marble or ivory tower somewhere looking down, dripping out oil of eloquent speech. I've been at the bottom of the barrel, I've been at the top of the ocean, I've been on the wrong end of a caning, I've been on the back end of a whipping, I've been there and now because of that, when I meet a weak man, I can say, I know about your weakness. I can identify with you in your pain I can tell you as Jesus has suffered I have suffered as you are suffering and you can make it through it because I've made it through it this is when you hit breakthrough in your struggle nobody loves to struggle I won't say nobody most people don't love to struggle but since we can't avoid it don't waste it don't get up in a, a place of woe is me and stay there. You can process that with the Lord. Lots of us have done that. But I'm going to tell you something. Revelation hit me about 10 years ago. I wasn't going through anything like this, but I had my own little private moment. It was a, it was a, it was a very difficult season. And uh, I remember the Lord saying to me, Jeff, my own son was not spared from suffering in your world. And that moment crystallized in my spirit. And then coupled with scripture, I realized this is to partner with Jesus, not only in his resurrection, but in his crucifixion, in his dying. And it wasn't just between me and him. It was gloriously helpful to know he was with me in that time. He never left. He never, he never does. But then the, the, the course of action that comes from it is very simple. Verse 30, Paul says, if I must boast, I'm going to boast of the things that show my weakness. You know how counterintuitive that is? There was no strutting in the spirit of the Apostle Paul. Young people hear me on this. Well, really, anybody that wants to hear it, hear it. But there, young men, they get a hold of a little chunk of doctrine, and they think they've got, the, they've got, the, they got it. And they walk around. Somebody's talking about broccoli and carrots, and they say, oh, are we talking about this? And they insert themselves into a conversation just to show their strength of some new understanding. They've got answers to questions nobody's even asking. And the younger we are, the more susceptible we are to portray our strengths and compensate and veil our weaknesses. And so when Paul is getting into this contest that he didn't want to get in, He's not playing their game. He says, yeah, y'all are talking about your accomplishments. Y'all are talking about what makes you the prima donna servant of Jesus in your generation. And all this awesome stuff that y'all did. By the way, Paul said in another place, hey, as long as Jesus is getting the glory, I'm not going to mess with it. That's how humble he was. 
He's like, yeah, they're talking about me, but as long as they're preaching Jesus, then the message is, is fine. I'm not going to go after them. And here he's saying this. He said, y'all keep talking about all that good stuff, and I, I'm just, if I'm going to say anything about myself, I'm going to tell you about the weaknesses, the struggles, the pains that have served as an open door for more of the Spirit of God, more of the wisdom of God, more of the internal inheritance to be unveiled in my life. He says, oh, if you want to know something about me, I don't want to tell you about all the churches I planted, all the people I've healed all the folks I've raised from the dead, all the demons I've cast out. I don't want to tell you how I stood down religious uh, hypocrites in the face. I don't need to tell you about that. Let me tell you, I've struggled, I've hurt, I've wept, I've hungered, I've thirsted, I've lost, I've said goodbye, I've been betrayed. I have the marks of Christ in my body. So if you're going to boast, boast of what Jesus has done through your weakness and make sure you're not just boasting about how weak you are but what he has done through your weaknesses and so the last one y'all are just an awesome people to pastor thank you for giving me the time this morning uh, the test of contentment amidst struggles pray I'm, I'm just going to get transparent here uh, I'm not good at this. Matter of fact, I wish I could just end the sermon, um, but I'm not going to. Because I, I don't feel like I've passed this class with the Lord yet. What is it? Being content in your deep weaknesses and struggles. This is the passage that we all know with the Apostle Paul. Let me give you a quick snapshot of background. So Paul at some point was taken up in a massive spiritual supernatural experience where he was so not in his normal faculties he couldn't tell if he went up to the third heaven in his body or if it was an out-of-body experience so you can find it in uh, this very passage in second corinthians 12 he, he says i saw things that nobody's ever seen I heard things that I can't repeat. And he says, the revelation that I received would blow everybody's mind. It was such an intense, personal, supernatural experience that he was privileged, isn't even close to the right word, but he, he, was, he was one among the human race that was allowed to go up and experience this thing with God in the spirit and then he comes back to earth and the Lord says I took you so high and I love you so much I'm gonna have to allow something in your life to keep you humble now watch this here's his experience so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he received a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You know about his thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows what it is. I'm thinking of the young guys I mentioned earlier. They're walking around. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. I got this, man, right? Yeah. If you just shut up and sit down, Jeff, I'll get up there and I'll tell you what the thorn was. I got nine messages on Paul's thorn. Nobody knows but me. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> the, the reality is, is nobody knows what it is, but we do know this. God allowed it in his life. It was actually sent from Satan. I don't think Paul was just using an expression there. That's an intense expression. Satan was allowed to drive something into Paul's life. It pained Paul. It caused Paul weakness. It, it motivated the great intercessor to go into petition for himself. And three different occasions, he's like, Lord, I'm pleading with you. Pleading with you. Take this thing off of me. A couple of, 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 of quick observations. Lord, I just please put oil on this so it can be received the right way. 
Some of you have weaknesses and pains in your life that are connected to the revelation and the intimacy that you have with God. And apart from that weakness or affliction, you would live in some form of arrogance. It's actually a mark of God's favor on you. It's evidence of his favor. Say, Jeff, that that doesn't sound right. I know because we've been taught that every bad thing is from the devil. Satan sent it. God left it. Why? Because the deeper you go with the Lord, the lower you must go in the Lord. We need weakness. I'll lose half of you right here, but for the half that'll listen, I want you to hear me. The weakness that you're aware of, the struggle that you're aware of, the pain that you're aware of, for many of you, it is directly attached to the intimacy that you have with the Lord that if he did not allow a humbling in your life, you would become aloof. You would become unapproachable. You would become arrogant and conceited. And though he take you up to the third heaven, he'll make sure to allow a little bit of an anchor on the earth for you. Some people say, I don't have any thorns. Your thorn and the presence of it and the depth of it and the longevity of it is oftentimes connected to the revelation that you have. And the deeper revelation you have, the more reasonably you should expect that there'll be a thorn. Satan will want to use it to defeat you, but that's not what God allows it for. Watch what God allows it for. Worship team, come on up. Here's the wisdom that is gained. Remember, Paul said three different occasions, please take it away. Listen, Paul, Paul is asking God. Paul knows how to fast. And stay up all night praying. Paul didn't just throw up, a, eh, if it's your will, please. Stay. Paul is saying, take this thing away. And finally, the answer comes and the wisdom is gained. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. My grace is enough. My grace is enough. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm giving you more grace, Paul. And everything that you need, I'm giving it to you via grace. Because, Paul, I I am giving you my power, and my power in your life is made complete through your weakness. Your weakness does not interrupt the power of God on your life. Your weakness does not keep you back from God's best in your life. Your weakness does not frustrate God. Your weakness actually brings you to the place where you're broken enough to where his power and grace flows into spots in your life that he could never get to if you stayed strong. And Paul gains this wisdom. And so the last thing he says, here's his course of action. Therefore, because, and by the way, the thorn stayed with him. He died with the thorn. You know how I know that? Because he always had the revelation. Therefore, the thorn that was sent to humble him, the thorn that God would use to humble him, had to remain with him. So he died and never got breakthrough on that thing. Matter of fact, best we can tell, once the Lord said, my grace is sufficient, Paul said, then your grace is sufficient. He'd be, he'd be called faithless in a lot of our churches. No, you just got to keep praying for the breakthrough. No, no, the Lord actually said that his grace was better for me than the deliverance from this problem. And we'd say, no, man, you just got to fast another three days. Pray a little bit harder. Come to this conference. And Paul just said, no, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Y'all, y'all go on to your conference. Y'all pray for me if you want to. There's other things you could be praying about because he said he's going to leave the thorn and give me his grace. Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. Remember what we're talking about? Contentment in your afflictions. He said, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why, Paul? So that the power of Christ will continue to rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with my weakness. And, And then he unpacks it. The insults, the hardships, the persecution, the calamities. And Paul comes away saying what Jesus said. 
Jesus had said that my strength, Paul, is made perfect, complete in your weakness. Paul just is now down the road a little bit. He's saying, yeah, guys, guess what I figured out? When I'm weak in myself, I'm an awesome candidate to be strengthened in him. And so I'm going to quit trying to be Mr. Super Spiritual, strong all the time Christian, and I'm going to recognize my weaknesses. I'm going to learn to be content with them, and I'm going to praise the Lord because through my weaknesses, he is getting the glory, and I am being strengthened in ways that I couldn't apart from the weaknesses. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? Look, I know it's late. If you need to leave, you can leave. But I do want to offer ministry time for anybody that wants it. Maybe some of you can bring that mountain back down and maybe pray for it. Pray about it in a a slightly different light. Maybe some of you can repent. I use that word on purpose, not an accusation, but it might be a need to repent of feeling like God has victimized you. Maybe he just showed you today that the thing, the thorn that he's left is actually attached to how much grace and revelation he's given you. Maybe you need that thing that won't go away. It's one thing to say that we need it. It's another thing to be able to arrive at that place where we say, I'm actually okay with it. Paul, very clearly, had a word from the Lord that the thing wasn't going to go away. You have to judge for yourself whether it's a season to keep praying for breakthrough or if it's a season where the Lord is saying, how about I give you the grace that you haven't treasured, but I withhold that breakthrough on that thing that you've over-treasured. Is the grace enough? So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the deepest, most lasting, most important and most needed breakthroughs to happen in the hearts of those that you're speaking to right now. I pray, Father, that you'll give clear discernment right now, whether this is a season for them to continue to pray for breakthrough on that issue, or if it's a season to rejoice that you are giving daily grace for it. Make us wise, Lord, in all things, no matter what happens. Make us content, rejoicing, that our weaknesses are like magnets to your infinite heart. You're not repulsed by our struggles and our brokenness, but you're attracted to it. Set our minds in line with heaven and not with this earth that demands we have it all together. Use our brokenness, Lord. Use the brokenness of this assembly. Use the brokenness of our ministries. Use the brokenness in our marriages, in our parenthood, in our childhoods. Lord, use our brokenness. We don't pretend to be strong. We lay before you all that we are, and we call on you. Grace, grace, grace be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.